The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Your host is Rochelle McLaughlin. It's time to experience radical well-being. Learn to nourish your heart, body, and mind. Manifest your power in the present. And learn to live your life's infinite potential. Now, here's your host, Rochelle McLaughlin. About 15 years ago, I recall hearing a statement that Dr. Phil made that moved me to action. He said that every single one of us needs to identify the top five most influential people in our lives. And when I identified my MIP list or most influential people list, I did it with the intention of recognizing the sheer significance of these top five individuals in my life by appreciating and honoring what they brought into my life. Acknowledging and embodying those qualities that most inspired me to manifest those qualities as best I could as I grew my own unique version of those qualities in my life so that I would become my own unique version of my best manifested self. And I have to tell you that I can honestly say that my guest today is a member of my top most influential people list and this is a tall order considering I have some very extraordinary people in my life and I'm so honored to have him here on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio to share this extraordinarily special person with you all and I also know that anyone listening to this episode that knows Dr. Bob Stahl would agree that here we have a human being that is bringing incredible healing into the world through his work through the Center for Mindfulness in Medicine Health Healthcare and Society at the University of Massachusetts Medical School, where I have received my training as a certified teacher of mindfulness-based stress reduction. And it was through this exquisite training, primarily, that I healed my own broken heart, thereby revealing a level of wellness, well-being, and empowered present moment living that I never thought was possible. It really has been an experience of uncovering a hidden treasure that was my birthright. So without further ado, allow me to introduce you to Dr. Bob Stahl and let's consult with Dr. Bob Stahl about this extraordinary work and how you too can begin to uncover your own unique treasure that is right there inside you waiting to be revealed. Dr. Bob Stahl has founded seven mindfulness-based stress reduction programs in medical centers in the San Francisco Bay Area. Dr. Stahl serves as a senior teacher for Oasis Institute for mindfulness-based professional education and training programs at the Center for Mindfulness University of Massachusetts Medical School. Bob is the author of five books, a mindfulness-based stress reduction workbook, Living With Your Heart Wide Open, 
Calming the Rush of Panic, a mindfulness-based stress reduction workbook for anxiety, and MBSR every day. Bob is the guiding teacher at Insight Santa Cruz in Santa Cruz, California, and a visiting teacher at Spirit Rock in Whitaker, California. And you can find out more about Dr. Bob Stahl's awareness and relaxation training programs at his website, which is www.mindfulnessprograms.com. Welcome, Bob. It is such an honor to have you here to share your wisdom with our listener, listeners on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio today. Thank you, Rochelle, very much for inviting me, and I'm honored to be here and feel very humbled. Uh, you said I'm part of that list, um, <laughs> so thank you. I don't know if I'm it, but I'm humbled anyways. <laughs> So, Bob, for those that don't know you, can you share a bit about your story with our listeners? Were you always this extraordinary or has this been a journey for you? And how did you come to practice mindfulness in your life and your work? Well, my mother and father always thought I was great. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, uh, oh, it's... um, it's a long story, and it came from a lot of uh, suffering and confusion. And early in my life, I had a lot of death, brother, a best friend, a grandfather. And um, this was uh, by the time I was nine years old, and this was also during the time that gradually the Beatles grew their hair long. The times were changing. It was the 60s, and I was a very confused young person growing up during those times. And... Um, you know, looking back on, of course, I was dealing with what is life, uh, having touched death at such an early age. And it wasn't until I was um, in college, undergraduate school, when I actually flunked out of college, and got readmitted back on warning, that uh, my mother begged me, isn't there something that would interest you? And um, whatever reason, it was really kind of a funny thing. I looked at the course catalog and I saw the wisdom of the East and I didn't know anything about the East other than one thing. And that was growing up. I, this sounds funny, but I really mean it is that I, I loved going to Chinese restaurants. I love Chinese food. I love the art, <laughs> I love the Buddhas on the walls, the paintings, the, just the whole vibe of the place. And, mm-hmm. um, and I heard something, I knew that was from the East. And I said, well, I'll take this class wisdom of the East. I barely saw that, after the name of that class called Wisdom of the East, there was a colon that said Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, and Zen. But um, I went into that class, and I'll never forget, um, my professor was sitting on top of his desk in a full lotus position. I never had a professor like this before. (laughs) And the way that he spoke and held himself, I could tell he was something very different. I had never had a professor like this before, and and uh, he he guided us to start reading the Tao Te Ching by Lao Tzu, The Way of Life, and I began reading this, and I couldn't believe that someone had thought about life in this way. Mm-hmm. The wisdom of Lao Tzu, the Tao Te Ching, 81 different poems, and in one of them in particular, epigram number 47, it kept on speaking about there's no need to look outside your window for everything you need to know is inside you. Mm-hmm. And this really penetrated more deeply within, and this was offering me, I began to realize, a direction that if I wanted to know something about life, I needed to look within. And to tell, be very honest with you, Rochelle, I had never thought of that ever before in my life. It was like a 
revelatory. It was revolutionary. It was like, what? Turning into yourself to look? And and that really began my um, practice uh, of more formal meditation, which I've been on for over 40 years now. Wow. You know, when you mentioned this, this revelatory experience of turning towards your experience, I it's it so resonates with my experience in bringing mindfulness into my life, and and at the same time, so in my experience in working with at San Jose State and in teaching mindfulness to and with the students at San Jose State, you know, there's just such a level of pain that we that we seem to be carrying these days that makes us afraid and keeps our hearts so closed up and subject to, and this is my own experience too, to numbing and distracting and dissociating myself from my own direct experience of the present moment. It, it's really a radical act to ask somebody to turn towards their experience. And it's so significant, especially at this time of such intensity. Would you agree with that, Bob? Yeah, I think um, this is definitely, there is definitely a lot of intensity in the world right now, for sure, with the, the way that the world has become so much smaller through global communication, social networks, and so forth. So, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. And how would you, I mean, it's difficult. It really is such a radical act that we're asking people, you know, you're teaching people to turn towards their experience. Would you say um, that that's your experience as well, that it really is a significant thing that we're asking people to turn towards their experience? Well, it's, um, it, it, it's yeah, there's, there's this invitation. And, um, you know, Franz Kafka has a wonderful quote he says, you know, you have suffering and you have a choice in whether you want to deal with it or not. And if you don't deal with it, then you get two sufferings. And so in some ways, uh, it seems much more efficient to begin to turn into what's here. And um, so, you know, I think it takes a certain amount of um, willingness to be able to begin to turn into um, your pain, fear, and heart. But when the pain and the fear become so strong, um, maybe there is another way. And we become more open. The paradigms that we once were living with begin to dissolve a bit. There's a little bit of an opening to maybe approach something from a different perspective. And so many of the people that we work with in mindfulness-based stress reduction are people that are living with stress and pain and illness. And and, and so people that enroll are really self-selecting. They want to begin to look inwards. And you know, I think looking inwards is a, is a very big thing. In, in today's world, it's very difficult to sit with ourselves, uh, to, to be, you know, it's like we have to be, you know, many people are compelled to be doing something. I have this person in one of my classes, she calls, I just go into what she calls screen face, where I just can't sit still with myself, so I'm addicted to my cell phone. I just have to be on it at all times. Mm-hmm. And she's beginning to learn, like, what would it be like to turn off the cell phone and to sit inside your own skin, flesh, bones, being? And for many people, that's a horrifying or very scary thing to do. And yet we keep on running away from ourselves. And yet no matter how much we try to find something that's that's distracting, it you know we have to continue doing this. And um, we're running away from ourselves in some ways. And so learning to to sit with ourselves, to fill into our own hearts, into our own skin, into our own flesh, into our own bones, into our own being, is getting more and more rare. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, it does seem that, you know, in this day and age that we have so much opportunity to distract ourselves. And um, so it's not just this, com- like this being compelled to, and our society trains us to not show up and not be, a, not turning in towards, not being in our body. And then we have this other side of the society of just so much distraction, so much opportunity to, um, it's like a self-distraction index. It would be certainly going through the roof if, if there was such a thing in today's um, world. So the combination seems really intense. <laughs> so I would love, before we take our first break, I would love to share an excerpt from your book. It's by with Dr. Bob Stahl and Alicia Goldstein, and it's a mindfulness-based stress reduction workbook. And you say, living with stress and anxiety is much more prevalent than you might imagine. Millions of people suffer and live with the challenges of stress every day, whether from day-to-day events, pain or illness, difficult life events, or perhaps most typically a combination of factors. Most of us don't want to talk about our stress and anxiety, or face these things within ourselves. As much as we may wish to ignore these concerns or pretend they don't exist, the unfortunate truth is that we can't control the world around us and there will always be situations capable of provoking worry, stress, and anxiety. The answer isn't to turn away, it's to turn towards. Mindfulness meditation is extremely useful in this regard, helping you get in touch with these concerns and learning to work with them so that they are aren't so paralyzing. As hundreds of thousands of mindfulness practitioners have discovered, it is possible to live with stress and also with less suffering and fear. And although you can't always control or eliminate stressors, you can engage with them differently. This is from Dr. Bob Stahl and Alicia Goldstein's book, A Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Workbook. This is an excellent, systematic, helpful, and practical workbook to help you learn how to replace stress-promoting habits with mindful ones, a skill that will last a lifetime. You can connect with Bob's life-changing work at mindfulnessprograms.com and we will be right back with Dr. Bob Stahl. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Do you know that you were born to experience revolutionary wellness? Have you wondered why extraordinary physical, mental, and emotional health has eluded you? Do you know that your infinite personal power resides right here in the present moment? People all over the world are awakening to their birthright, revolutionary wellness. Introducing the Experience Revolutionary Wellness Coaching Program. Log on today to begin your journey into the mystery and join our virtual village. The world, now more than ever, needs you to feel revolutionarily well. Explore and integrate new ways of being. Learn to access your own unique treasure, the wisdom that is right there inside you, waiting to be revealed. Experience a renewed, vivid, and nourishing relationship with yourself and the world around you. When you experience revolutionary wellness, you will be the change you wish to see in the world. Log on to experiencerevolutionarywellness.com today and join Rochelle on an adventure into your own unique journey toward revolutionary wellness. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You're listening to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Rochelle is an internationally known meditation teacher, clinician of mind and body medicine, lifestyle change, and self-healing. She's an author, speaker, and creator of Experience Revolutionary Wellness Virtual Village. If you would like to reach Rochelle, send an email to Rochelle at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. Again, that's Rochelle at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. Now back to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Turning into difficult emotions can feel a bit foreign since our culture so often emphasizes suppressing, denying, or eradicating pain. Isn't it time to start acknowledging these parts of ourselves rather than continuing to avoid or ignore them? If we learn to view these challenges as rites of passage instead of running away from them, we will gain the opportunity to learn and grow and perhaps even change the circumstances that lead to distress. This is from Dr. Bob Stahl and Elizabeth. Elisha Goldstein's book, A Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Workbook. So, Bob, in this excerpt from your book, you're talking about turning towards difficult emotions, which we were touching on just before break. And this is something we're just not taught to do in society today. And there's, I have a two-part question for you. The first is, what is it that we are missing when we lack the, the skill of recognizing and honoring our own feelings, even if or even if it's especially when we are experience something di- difficult. Uh, and then what would you say that we need, would you say that we need support and guidance to do this kind of work since it's such a new skill for so many of us in society today? Well, maybe I'll just start off by saying that um, this might feel actually counterintuitive to turn into the pain, whether it's physical or emotional. And so I can understand a lot of people's uh, potential reactions to this and how foreign this is because we live actually in a pain-denying culture. Mm-hmm. So funny, I think it's kind of ironic that it's called health insurance, but it's about sickness insurance. It's called life insurance, but it's really about death insurance. And um, so we live in this pain-denying culture, so that even the very idea of turning into the pain is very foreign. And of course... Uh, with all the pharmaceuticals and distractions that we have, um, there's not a lot of models out there to turn into um, the pain. But yet, uh, as much as it can feel counterintuitive, um, I've always remembered a, a lifelong lesson that I learned from my father about growing up outside of Boston and driving in snowy roads when I first got my license. And when you get into a skid, the impulse is to turn away because you don't want to have anything to do with the skid. But the only way to really get out of it is to turn your wheels into it. And it has kind of a counterintuitive feel. Mm-hmm. And so part of the principles of learning to turn, you know, that I think they work along the same lines. As we begin to turn in and acknowledge our pain, that begins the healing process. There's a very powerful teaching poem by Jennifer Wellwood called Unconditional. And one of the punchlines of the poem is that it says, whatever you flee from will pursue you. Whatever you welcome will begin to transform you. Mm-hmm. And so for many of us, we keep on, you know, turning away from things. You know, 
It's actually, I think, a line from a Grateful Dead song, like, you can run to the end of the world and, you know, and you will, you cannot run away. It, it, your life will follow you no matter where it is that you are. And so, mm-hmm. so we can begin to turn into the pain. And what I mean by turning into the pain, whether it's physical or emotional, is to begin to allow oneself to acknowledge that the feelings are there. And there's a great power in beginning to acknowledge feelings. And when I'm saying the word acknowledging, I'm not saying that you have to try to accept or be okay with what's there because we may not be anywhere close to that. Mm-hmm. And if I perhaps acknowledge my sadness, my anger, my fear, maybe that will be a gateway towards the coming into terms with the way things are with greater wisdom and compassion into a place of acceptance. But can we begin to acknowledge what's present? Mm. You know, it has this quality of um, like a gentleness that as we're turning towards our experience and that that's probably in a way you're answering the second question as well, which is to have support and guidance to do that kind of work in, in turning towards it. Because I think so, I know you, you speak about this in um, a couple of your books, but in particular, the living with your heart wide open about how hard we are on ourselves so often. And that when we're in being invited to turn towards our own direct experience, oftentimes we find that we're so hard on ourselves and it can be, heartbreaking in and of itself and so um i think you're answering that question in the sense that it's it is very helpful to have some wise guidance because it may be that as we turn towards our direct experience we we're still living in an old pattern of um not of you know being difficult and being judgmental and being hard on ourselves which can really make the practice actually not healing. Would you say that's correct, Bob? I'd say that's, yeah, I, I feel so. And, you know, there's a couple of things I'd say is that also is that, you know, it's not always wise to turn in. You know, and I sometimes look at it like there's three types of zones. Of One is the comfort zone, one is the learning zone, one is the danger zone. And we only learn in the learning zone. So we don't want to go over the edge. And I also want to recognize sometimes distraction might be actually a very viable way of dealing with something, turning the channel. But if that's the only resource we have, you know, you can run, but you can't hide. There may come times when it will be wise and skillful to turn in. But also one of the things I really want to convey with is as we begin to bring greater awareness to the workings of our own mind, thoughts, heart, emotions, is that we begin to, with mindfulness to begin to see and recognize these stories that I have told myself. And we perhaps begin to see that these narratives, these stories, these old conditioned habitual ways of relating and defining who it is that we think we are, are limited definitions. This, to me, is some of the most liberating qualities of mindfulness practices, becoming, first of all, aware of the stories, the beliefs, the narratives that I tell myself, that I define who it is that I am, beginning to discover these limited definitions, particularly if I'm living a life where, where we're saying that, you know, that I'm deficient, I'm, I'm, I'm in a trance of unworthiness, I'm, I'm not smart, I'm not beautiful, I, I, I'll never be able to amount to anything, that these types of stories that I tell myself are, are depleting and they're not life-giving and they're life, uh, they're, they're um, 
living our life in such a way of uh, um, a lot of happiness, if you will. Mm -hmm. These limiting stories. And so the, the potential begin to become more aware of these beliefs, these stories, these narratives, that there's more possibilities. There's more possibilities here for breaking free of these stories that have enslaved us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's such a powerful statement about it's a, it's really... For myself, it really felt like a it's a it's an ongoing thing, but it feels like just this um, sense of freedom. And I know you use that word too. It's a freeing aspect when we can begin to let go of those narratives that are often, you know, very unhealthy or just dysfunctional and um, but it takes us turning towards those experiences. But I also appreciate that, you know, this recognition that it may not always be the, it's not always the right time necessarily to turn towards the experience that there may be times where it's perfectly okay and natural to, um, and we can probably do that with awareness as well as to distract ourselves when we feel like it's, we're not ready to, to turn towards our direct experience of what's happening in the present moment. So thank you for sharing all of that. I know in MBSR curriculum, a significant part of the process is a group process. It's being in community with others and hearing other people's experiences. And it certainly was has been very significant for me and um, my own work with mindfulness in my life and, and incorporating it, you know, and being a student of it. Um, it's certainly a lifelong process. But in your experience, what would you say is so important about this aspect of connecting with another human being and sharing our experiences so openly together as we're moving through, um, and you know, another person's experience as it relates to what's coming up for them as they're building mindfulness in their lives? What is happening in the group process, would you say? You know, in one word, I'd say intimacy. And, um, you know, I think that there's a very deep, longing in our humanity of feeling connected, being interconnected. And so there's these beautiful moments that happen in the you know the group experience of practicing meditation together, learning about ourselves and being able to share with others that brings out the humanness that I'm not the only one that feels shame or I'm not the only one that feels anxiety. Mm -hmm. uh, and also the, the, the learning that I learn about this to heal. And so there's a beautiful sense of intimacy and of realness, authenticness, genuineness. So people become, you know, the guard, the guardedness begins to dissolve and the sense of connectedness and interconnectedness begins to arise. And I, again, I think there's like such a longing for so many of us to feel the sense of connection interconnection. Sometimes we don't get this in our primary relationships in our families. We don't really get this at work because, you know, we have to kind of be guarded because it's kind of a culture. And so to finally kind of be in an environment that promotes safety, that promotes honesty, that that um, is is an encouraging but also honoring where it is that you are, that you're not being pushed over the edge, that... Um, there's a beautiful thing that often takes place, and you know, as well as the meditation, is the sense of connecting with others in real and authentic ways. Mm. 
That's beautiful. Well, Bob, it's time to take a short break, and you can connect with Bob Stahl's profoundly healing work at www.mindfulnessprograms.com. We will be right back with Dr. Bob Stahl. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Do you know that you were born to experience revolutionary wellness? Have you wondered why extraordinary physical, mental, and emotional health has eluded you? Do you know that your infinite personal power resides right here in the present moment? People all over the world are awakening to their birthright, Revolutionary Wellness. Introducing the Experience Revolutionary Wellness Coaching Program. Log on today to begin your journey into the mystery and join our virtual village. The world, now more than ever, needs you to feel revolutionarily well. Explore and integrate new ways of being. Learn to access your own unique treasure. The wisdom that is right there inside you, waiting to be revealed. Experience a renewed, vivid, and nourishing relationship with yourself and the world around you. When you experience revolutionary wellness, you will be the change you wish to see in the world. Log on to experiencerevolutionarywellness.com today and join Rochelle on an adventure into your own unique journey toward revolutionary wellness. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. You're listening to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Rochelle is an internationally known meditation teacher, clinician of mind and body medicine, lifestyle change, and self-healing. She's an author, speaker, and creator of Experience Revolutionary Wellness Virtual Village. If you would like to reach Rochelle, send an email to Rochelle at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. Again, that's Rochelle at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. Now back to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. As long as you are swept up in a narrative-based sense of self and all the limitations and suffering that entails, you can neither find nor heal your wounded heart, and therefore you remain a prisoner of your childhood. Self-concepts like unworthiness and inadequacy often serve as a distraction from the feelings the story conceals. To live with your heart wide open, you must find, feel, and accept all of your feelings. A huge part of meditation practice is learning to say yes to what is, learning to relax and just let things happen as they will in your mind and body. This is sometimes called radical acceptance. You might think of it as softening around what comes up for you rather than contracting. This is particularly important when you discover that many of your hardest judgments are of yourself. This isn't unusual. When we turn inward, many of us find that we're harder on ourselves than anyone else is or than we are with anyone else. This is from Dr. Bob Stahl and Stephen Flowers' book, the book Living With Your Heart Wide Open, How Mindfulness and Compassion Can Free You from Unworthiness, Inadequacy, and Shame. It's a beautiful book. And so, Bob, welcome back. Would you say that this is a a place to begin to, you know, in my experience, it's really, it's like an uncovering of my own 
unique treasure that's right here inside me and inside all of us to be revealed is as we let go of these stories and um, that we all have this treasure inside of us. What is it that is revealed? Can you describe that in your own words? And I'm sure it's unique for everyone, but in your experience, what is revealed as we can let go of this, these narratives that are not working for us any longer? No, um, let me just say that um, what's revealed is our sovereignty, our connectedness, our interconnectedness with all things, no more so Mm -hmm. and no less so than anyone else. Mm -hmm. um, Actually, John Kabat-Zinn and his wife, Myla, they wrote a very beautiful book called Everyday Blessings, and they speak about different aspects of mindful parenting and three particular aspects they speak about is to helping to uh, you know accept your child to have empathy and to offer the child uh, support its own sovereignty and first when they mentioned the word sovereignty I wasn't quite sure what they meant and mm-hmm. to begin to investigate more like we know that like infants are so full of themselves. Like they could be standing in front of a room or sitting in front of a room of 500 people. <laughs> They'll just poop, pee, or laugh or cry. You know, they <laughs> they care what anyone else thinks because full of themselves. They're connected with the universe. And mm-hmm. of course, as we raise our children, we we get them socialized and civilized. <laughs> and inevitably, along the way, at times they get shamed and mm-hmm. they feel less than. And these mm-hmm. of in our personality development are getting intertwined with our personality and gradually someday we may individuate into our own individual and then of course if we could continue with self-awareness we begin to see who it is that we've individuated into mm-hmm. and the rest of our life is individuating the individuation that we've individuated into if you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. so it's, we've lost in many ways part of the sovereign nature of our own interconnection with ourselves, each other in the universe. And to me, breaking free of the stories, even in the historical story of the Buddha, it is said that he experienced the unconditioned. And what that means from a psychological point of view, from my point of view, is that he broke free of all of the conditionings, all of the narratives, all of the stories, that enslaved his heart, that made him feel separate and disconnected. And so to me, breaking free of these stories that have enslaved us brings us into a place of connection and interconnection. Mm -hmm. A story of a great saint in India, Ramana Maharshi, and he was dying, and his students were saying to him, please don't go, Maharaj, please don't go. And evidently Ramana Maharshi said, where am I going? I ain't going anywhere. Mm. Of course, Albert Einstein, who's... respected scientist, he says that separation is an optical delusion of our consciousness. Mm. And our task before us is to grow in compassion and to uh, grow this compassion with with all things. And so to me, I think that the, the breaking of these narratives and stories gets us in a place of connection and interconnection and separation, yes, from even from a scientific point of view, <clears throat> it's a delusion of our consciousness that we're separated. Our very 
cells that make up the body came from the explosion of stars long ago. These are what make up atoms. The atoms make up the cells of the body and so forth. So perhaps our deepest healing is coming back home into our sense of being part of this universe that we, at times, of course, you know, when that, there's a historic moment in all of our lives. When we were born, that cord was cut. And after that, it's been every man and every woman for themselves ever since. Mm. And at that time, prior to that cord being cut, we were connected, literally connected, the vocal to our mama and so forth. And so I think there's a, such a deep human longing for connection and mm-hmm. interaction. And we know it inside ourselves of having experienced it. And, and it's, it's our journey home back to connection, dissolving the feelings of separation, this dissolving these feelings that I'm different, I'm not enough, and so forth. Mm, that's beautiful. Yes, and um, when we're talking about like describing this this treasure, this coming home, there is another aspect of what's revealed is the sense of ease, and also within that interconnectedness is a sense is a sense of awe and wonder and gratitude. So as you're describing that. Um, you know, this, this incredible interconnectedness is just all these other qualities that are revealed that seem, in my experience, have also been so healing. And um, it's certainly a, a very rich aspect and a deep part of mindfulness being woven into my life. So it's really, really profound. Um, another profound aspect is, and we've you know, been weaving it together, it's in there. And I know John Kabat-Zinn, he describes mindfulness as this, it's a practice of being non-judgmental in the prom, in the present moment. And there's, it seems so simple, but it's that judging aspect that it's almost like when, when I'm judging an experience that I'm unable to recognize the extraordinary. It's almost like almost closing the door on that my ask, my capacity to experience awe and wonder. And that's fascinating. Would you say that's the case, Bob, or maybe it's not so black and white? Well, you know, I, th- I think that, yeah, when, we, when, we, when we're feeling um, separate, we're, we're not connected. And so, that, you know, that's yeah. pretty tangible of a feeling. And, yeah. you know, I also wanted to say that it's a tricky statement that mindfulness has no judges because one of the first things that we begin to see when we practice mindfulness is just how judgmental we are. And so I also want to really connect with those that are listening that mindfulness doesn't mean not having judgment. You will have plenty of it, more than you even imagine that you have. <laughs> the practice of awareness is helping us to see by which how we see the world, which is filled with judgment, with lenses. This is this is the birth of all types of prejudice and bias, and and uh, the the ways that we separate from one another. But it's important for us to recognize that um, you know when we become mindful of judging, we can begin to become a little less enslaved by it. When I realize that I'm seeing through a certain lens, so I just want to say it's not like we can just flip a switch and <laughs> judgmental anymore but this is <laughs> practice is to recognize judgments and then recognize that there's more once we have more information if we become aware and we can choose a greater response so Viktor Frankl once said that between the stimulus and the response there is a space and in that space lies my freedom to choose with more information I can choose a more 
constructive, a more kind response rather than reacting in ways born out of old patterns of mindlessness and reactivity that can lead to um, a lot of uh, unhealth and, and distress. Yes. And this is, you're bringing up this point of something that I really learned from you and from mindfulness-based stress reduction curriculum and the other amazing instructors that I've had the opportunity to learn from. And it's these qualities of kindness and gentleness as returning towards our experience. And can you say just for um, just the next 30 seconds or so, the significance of extending those qualities of kindness and gentleness? Yeah, I may need more than 30 seconds, so. Okay. (laughs) We'll just pause for a moment, but let's just say this, that, um, well, actually, I'll just kind of pause. Kindness is the way, and I'll speak about the attitudes to how we train. That's very important. Wonderful. Okay. It is time to take a short break. And before we go, I'd like to share an excerpt from Dr. Bob Stahl and Wendy Milstein's book, Calming the Rush of Panic, a mindfulness-based stress reduction guide to freeing yourself from panic attacks and living a vital life. So, Bob, you and Wendy Milstein say, with the practice of mindfulness, you can learn to bring your presence into the here and now, since this is where life is truly lived. In time, you will grow in balance and ease with yourself and others. As you lie, stand, walk, or sit, you will learn to mindfully respond to your thoughts rather than reacting to them. You will nourish your relationships with others to help you both both you and them grow in mutually healthy ways. So why not give it a try and see what happens when you begin to watch the show of your own stories rather than getting so caught up in the drama. There's a saying in the Thai forest Buddhist tradition, if you let go a little, you'll have a little happiness. If you let go a lot, you'll have a lot of happiness. If you let go completely, you'll have complete happiness. So what would it be like to lessen your grasping and clinging? What would happen if you could begin to soar with things as they are and trust that you are not forsaken, that you will be held in the heart of this vast and mysterious universe. This is from Dr. Bob Stahl and Wendy Milstein's book, Calming the Rush of Panic. You can connect with Bob's work at mindfulnessprograms.com. We will be right back with Dr. Bob Stahl. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Do you know that you were born to experience revolutionary wellness? Have you wondered why extraordinary physical, mental, and emotional health has eluded you? Do you know that your infinite personal power resides right here in the present moment? People all over the world are awakening to their birthright, Revolutionary Wellness. Introducing the Experience Revolutionary Wellness Coaching Program. Log on today to begin your journey into the mystery and join our virtual village. The world, now more than ever, needs you to feel revolutionarily well. Explore and integrate new ways of being. Learn to access your own unique treasure, the wisdom that is right there inside you, waiting to be revealed. Experience a renewed, vivid, and nourishing relationship with yourself and the world around you. When you experience revolutionary wellness, you will be the change you wish to see in the world. Log on to experiencerevolutionarywellness.com today and join Rochelle on an adventure into your own unique journey toward revolutionary wellness. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You're listening to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Rochelle is an internationally known meditation teacher, clinician of mind and body medicine, lifestyle change, and self-healing. She's an author, speaker, and creator of Experience Revolutionary Wellness Virtual Village. If you would like to reach Rochelle, send an email to Rochelle at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. Again, that's Rochelle at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. Now back to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Welcome back. Be sure to check out information on my website, experiencerevolutionarywellness.com, about the proposed mindfulness-based occupational therapy advanced certificate program that will be held through San Jose State University that is slated to launch the summer of 2017. It will be open to all licensed healthcare practitioners around the world. It is a primarily online program with a five-day residential training retreat that will be held mid-program in the beautiful San Francisco Bay Area. I am the director and lead instructor for the proposed program, and you can sign up for email updates and up- upcoming enrollment information on my website, or you can email me directly at Rochelle at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. So definitely check that out. So, Bob, welcome back. And you were just before the break, you were talking about attitude. If you can go into that, and then I would love for you to share about the amazing, the profound aspects of um, Dharma, the practices of Dharma, and how, if you can speak to how the Dharma informs your life and work. Sure, thank you, um, Rochelle. And um, yeah, I wanted to speak about attitude and give it a, you know, the honorable time it needs, because I think the attitude of how we work with our practice is everything. Okay. And, you know, the, actually, Pema Chojan has this beautiful um, description of, of training a dog. And you know, the object, of course, perhaps in training a dog is to get it to sit, to stay, to lie down, and so forth. And you can train a dog very fiercely, very rigidly. It will learn those commands, but often those types of dogs become neurotic and confused. Mm-hmm. By contrast, you can train a dog very lovingly, very kindly. It, too, will learn those commands to stay and sit and lie down, but often those types of dogs become more confident and flexible. And so I really want to just encourage that how we hold ourselves in meditation practice is very important because as you kind of referring to earlier, that our greatest critic generally is ourselves. That, um, you know, and if we take that type of critical attitude into meditation, as Barb Sharples, an Australian meditation teacher, says, it will continue to wrap our lives in a knot. This, and it's, it becomes like an aggression even that we can put into self-improvement, such as meditation or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so how about training and practicing with great kindness? And um, so even when your mind wanders off, which it will many times if you practice mindfulness, rather than blaming ourselves of where it is that we went, how about congratulating ourselves that we're back again? Because there's actually nothing you can, you can do about where it is that you went off to because that's already in the past. The only thing you can do is now that you're aware again and back again is could I begin to train with kindness? And so I really want to encourage this practice of kindness, infusing it into our practice, the way that we relate to ourselves, 
to each other is very, very important. Mm. Mm. That's wonderful. And is would you say that that particular quality, this cultivating these particular attitudes, is a part of the Dharma? Yeah, when we use the word Dharma, um, the Dharma is referring to, um, well, actually it has a, few, a number of different meanings. And, and so what I'm interpreting it to mean is from, in, in Buddhism, and particularly in the, the way of the elder school of the first traditions um, of, of Theravada Buddhism, um, that the Dharma, Dharma means the teachings of awakening. So actually in, in Theravada Buddhism, there's these three jewels, the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. And the Buddha really stands for, actually it literally means the awakened one. And the teachings, the Dharma, are the teachings of awakening. And the Sangha is the community that supports each other to awaken. And so I have been deeply involved in the teachings of the Buddha within the Theravadan tradition for many, many years. At one point in my life, I lived in a Buddhist Theravadan monastery in the Burmese tradition for eight and a half years, and I, I did this before I even got involved into mindfulness-based stress reduction, and of course, uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction is inspired from these teachings within the Dharma, and when we speak about the Dharma, we're speaking about the essential teachings of the Four Noble Truths, the found, Four Foundations of Mindfulness, the Three Marks of Existence, and, and these teachings that I've been working with for many years have deeply informed my life. I'm a you know, sincere practitioner of Buddhist meditation, insight meditation, Vipassana. And as a practitioner, I also get a chance uh, to teach this as well. But this informs my, my whole life. I mean, um, you know, I think at one point, having lived in the monastery for many years and then leaving the monastery, I really began to realize that the real monastery is my life, and what comes up in my life is my practice. And so, you know, my practice is being a husband, a father, uh, being in the world, working with people and family. And But, you know, my life is the practice. Whatever comes up in my life is where I need to bring attention to. And really what we could say, the, the essence of the Dharma is pointing to these qualities of bringing more awareness to the places that we get caught, where, where we get stuck, often either by holding on to something and grasping or having aversion wanting to get away from. And so this practice really boils down to seeing more clearly into where we get caught. And of course, that's pointing to that if we can begin to free ourselves of where we get caught, we will experience greater freedom, greater ease, greater contentment. We begin to understand that contentment um, is nothing. We cannot buy contentment, and no type of material thing can give you contentment. No doubt some material things can give you pleasure, but if we have this mistaken belief that somehow all of those things will make me happy, we will continue looking and acquiring things from here to the end of time, but it will never be enough. Or if we're looking for the sense of power, our narcissism, to be someone, to be special, to, you know, that I become so dependent upon others to, for my worthiness. If I'm looking outside of myself for my own worthiness, I will never find my own worthiness because I'm dependent upon you, upon others, and it'll never be enough. Just as soon as you get it from one, you'll need it from another. Or perhaps this other part of like just falling asleep, just not wanting to feel, the craving to not feel anything, just to turn away, to zone out, to, 
to disassociate from what's here. So these practices are really teaching us about happiness is to be found within, and that the greatest happiness is contentment. When you're content, there's ease and there's open-heartedness and there's clarity, the clarity of this understanding that nothing outside of us can make us whole and happy if we don't know this for ourselves. That's so profound, Bob. And we're at the end of our show. And just allow me to thank you so much for being with us today on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio and for sharing your deeply healing work with my listeners. There's so much more to integrate. So be sure to order Bob's books on Amazon, attend his upcoming workshops and training programs, and connect with Bob on his website at www.mindfulnessprograms.com. It has been so wonderful to talk to you today. Bob, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much, Rochelle. And I just wish you all the best with all of your wonderful works in the radio show and the trainings and so many blessings. Thank you so much to you too, Bob. And to all of my listeners, I would love for you to join me next week right here as we will be having an empowering and thought-provoking conversation with Dr. Christine Page about her revolutionary book called The Healing Power of the Sacred Woman, Health, Creativity, and Fertility for the Soul. In the meantime, you can join me on my Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio Facebook page, follow my Twitter feed at Revolution Well, and connect with me on my website at Experience Revolutionary Wellness. It is such a pleasure to be here with you all on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Thank you for joining me on this journey. Until next time, I'm Rochelle McLaughlin. May you be well. Thank you for opening your heart and mind to a new way of being, to greater degrees of self-compassion and wellness, and your experience of your own infinite potential with Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Join host Rochelle next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time to turn courageously toward your own unique experience of health and wellness here on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember, you too can experience revolutionary wellness. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.